Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned. Uh, thanks everybody for joining another podcast. And I think today is going to be one of the best ones yet. So for this podcast, we try and bring in the most interesting people that we can find across beauty, fashion, luxury. Um, and I think Ricardo is one of those people. Um, so Thank Ricardo's you. background. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining Ricardo. Um, so in terms of Ricardo's background, he was the co-founder of the Blonde Salad uh, with Chiara Faragni, which went on to become one of the most prominent in early fashion blogs. Um, from there, he went on to co-found and invest in a variety of other companies. Um, he's also now a senior advisor at the Luxotic, Luxotica Group, as well as a former senior or current senior advisor at um, Condé Nast. And then personally has over 300,000 followers as well on Instagram, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I would say at least 295,000 more than me. Um, so <laughs> quite a bit more, uh, maybe 299,000. I don't know. I haven't checked in a while. Um, so anyways, I'm really excited to talk to Ricardo today. We're going to learn a lot about content creation, um, business, investing, etc. cetera. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Ricardo. We really appreciate you taking out the time. Thank you. Thank you, Connor, for this invitation. Like I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be, to be one of your guests and one of earn podcast guests. And uh, I really can't wait to start and share some, some cool contents together. Totally. Um, well, let's start at the beginning, just so people have a good idea of your background. Um, so you went to university yep. um, and you yep. did your undergrad in finance and economics and then your master's in marketing. And I know yep. that, you know, for you, at least in one of the other interviews I, I heard, you kind of started on the finance side and said, oh, this marketing stuff is much more interesting. Uh, which is funny because yeah. I did the exact same thing, literally the exact same thing. Undergrad, yeah. finance, <laughs> economics, master, or I didn't get a master's, but then doubled in marketing because uh, I was yeah. so interested in it. Um, talk to me about that. What what drew you to marketing in the first place? You know, the, the thing is that um, marketing uh, to me, it's, it's really the pure essence of understanding the market, creating something like the, if in the market there is a need, I want to fill that need, you know, to satisfy the need with a product. So the, in the real concept of marketing, I, I really see that in, you know, like kind of understanding the market and giving a solution for a problem. So I really like this process, you know. So first of all, starting from the understanding of the market, I always... I think that I always had a sort of sensibility because I always said that first of all, I am a consumer almost of everything. So for sure <laughs> I can, I can understand almost everybody consuming things. So why don't you, you know, like putting this sort of sensibility in trying to make it uh, a, a bit a more uh, structure process no? you know, in understanding the market and, and uh, providing solutions. So basically that was was really fascinating for for me uh, about marketing. So I decided to to move from finance and economics and and getting a bit uh, a bit uh, in that uh, let's say field. And then I realized that the re the great aim of marketers is not just understanding the market, but it's creating the demand for something. You know, not not just giving the answer. So I've, I in that I found it even more interesting. So <laughs> I, I I mean I. I kind of really like the the psychology that there is behind the market uh, marketing in general. Probably, I mean, psychology. It's behind every kind of interaction where human are for sure. But 
as marketing, it is made of understanding the market, creating something, understanding how to distribute, how to promote that, what kind of product. Like it's all about, uh, you know, all these interaction, all these, uh, uh, these habits, this uh, evolution of the consumption. So really, I, I find it really, really um, fascinating. And I, I have to say that uh, uh, during my master's, I, I really realized that uh, I, I was really enjoying like studying. That was something completely new to me. So I, in that moment, I got the, I got that probably <laughs> I, I wasn't the right path. <laughs> yeah. I think once you find those signals, like, oh, wow, like this doesn't feel like work. Like this is just so enjoyable for me Indeed. that, you know, it's not even uh, like I want to do it. Right. Um, like I, and I think on the psychology side, what's really interesting is I feel like for me, I was always really attracted to economics as well. And what's interesting about economics and the way that it's evolved is, you know, behavioral economics have become a much bigger kind of component there, which essentially is integrating psychology with economics. And so for me, although finance, economics and marketing are considered somewhat separate, I think there's a lot of common threads there and that psychology is actually fairly important to all of them. Um, yeah, but that's sure. really cool. I think, uh, creating, creating is a really cool thing. It's a fun thing to take something from nothing to existence, right? True. Exactly. It's exactly that. Well, so, I mean, I guess while we're on that, we might as well talk about the blonde salad, right? So that was a big sure. part, you know, that was basically immediately after school, right? So you, from what I read, you discovered it or, or you thought about it on an internship in Chicago. And then from there, you know, came back and started it with Kiara. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like, what was it initially that you said, this is the thing I want to do, right? Straight out of school. This is the thing, social media blogging. Cause yeah, this is 2000, was it 2009 or 2010? This 2009. Is, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, in reality, the blonde salad was born during ma the master, not even after mm. but during the internship in chicago so i was working as an assistant in a marketing office of a of a company of a consumer company and for the first time because for in italy you know the, the, the let's say the direct to consumer approach would maybe was a bit backward compared to united states but when i was there i really experienced uh, how important the opinion of digital uh, let's say customers were for us. So I, as a, as an assistant, as an intern, I was all the day like reviewing uh, all the reviews on Amazon uh, of our mm -hmm. product or interacting on Facebook or checking what the, uh, the industry blogger, they were saying about us. So all these kind of things, I really realized that uh, like our company was, was really, you know, sensitive to those kind of content, to those kind of consumer. So, and I mean, and opinion leader. So I started realizing, I started creating, you know, like this kind of sensitivity to, to that topic. And uh, at the same time, I was seeing as Chiara was super passionate about fashion and photography. She was posting a lot of things on various mixed, uh, you know, social media. So I said, why don't you build up just your little world, your community around that passion, because for sure it's going to become something interesting in the future. But obviously we didn't know absolutely nothing because we didn't have any kind of benchmark. You know, we were, we mm -hmm. were just understanding that there was an opportunity that uh, the, the people like us, we were seeking for new kind of entertainment uh, also related to fashion, because before that fashion was basically just on magazines because no television, no radio, 
small cinema. So it was just, you know, magazines, magazine, magazines. Yes, some website, mm-hmm. but still very, uh, in a very, let's say, old approach. Um, yep. so for sure something, something was meant to happen, you know? So we just started like that, but really without any kind of, uh, any kind of expectation. And I have to say that, uh, for me, one of the most important thing was really the, the timing because we, st- I started one year before finishing my, my fashion. So mm. when, when I literally, you know, bought uh, the blonde salad domain and uh, I, I, I like created a blog on HTML coming from finance and marketing. So I, you know, I spent like a couple of days trying to understand just to, how to <laughs> log in into the platform. But basically, basically then, then, then it worked, it worked out. And, but you know, at, at that point, we we didn't have any kind of expectation, but at least uh, I was studying, so I didn't have nothing to lose, you know. So I w- I would just mm-hmm. went back to Italy. I went on with my with my uh, exams. I finished the masters. I did the, this thesis dissertation, whatever. But in the meanwhile, in those let's say six nine months, the blonde salad already was collecting more than thirty thousand visits. Uh, per day at the block. So at that moment, already was quite easy to understand that it was becoming something big. There were the first platform that they were emailing us and saying, oh, guys, we follow your blog. Uh, do you want to put a banner of uh, Luisa Veroma or uh, Asus or Ux uh, on your website? And us, we were saying, what the fuck is this? I mean, it's not a bad thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed, but it was something com- completely unexpected. So I started learning what was CPM, what was CPR, what was affiliation program. Like I, I, we really started getting in a world that was completely new and we were not, absolutely not planning to get into. So when I finished my master, I got a couple of uh, opportunity of uh, working into big corporate. But at mm-hmm. that moment, I said, okay, you know, like, I, I, I will always be on time. I mean, in time to get on that train. Right now, there is these things that is super fascinating. It's something that uh, because there are no rules and there are no benchmark, I'm not afraid to do mistakes because no one can point out on me and say, you are making a mistake. Yeah, I, I, always, I always thought about that, you know, like, no rules, it's easy. So... I just, we, we just jumped on that and we tried to put all our energies and it was fun, you know, like literally it was just fun because we were taking pictures, traveling around the world, going to cool events, listening. I was learning a lot because then I was going to the clients, for example, like, uh, I don't know, the big brands, marketing manager, they were calling me in Milano and also because we were in a cool spot, like hotspot for that. And, and that also was another key factor for us that we were in in uh, one of the three main cities in the world for fashion you know so mm-hmm. people were like we had access to all the companies the companies they were calling us and say oh guys you are the blogger guys uh what can we do together they didn't know because it was something completely new for them and as we were 23 24 so we could easily, I mean, understand what we were speaking about, but maybe the marketing manager of DR was 45. So it was a yeah. bit harder for him to get into what is a blog? How can we work together? What can we do together? So in that moment, we started hiring people, creating solution. Indeed, as I was saying, like I was listening to them, they needed more experiential content, more faces enjoying uh, the event and and doing all the storytelling they needed you know a different kind of entertainment as as much as we needed that as 
people as users. So just uh, what, what we just tried to do as as best as we could was just creating high quality content. Because what we what we really realized immediately is that they were not expecting that we were high quality people because they were just saying, "Oh, these are oh, you're just, you know, a blog, just little right? kids, <laughs> yeah, just blog, just whatever." You know, like, but but now it's a trend, so we have to do that because literally this was the thing. Like they were saying, I I don't get what you're doing. I'm not really into that, and I don't want to be. But everybody is doing that, so I will do that. Okay, so basically this is what we're doing. The cool thing is that we really invested a lot in a team in creating cool editorial stories, cool contents, like high quality contents. So then they were very happy because they were spending. Uh, like one tenth that uh, working with high professional uh, established photographer and whatever they were getting yeah. uh, not the same content but quite good so they were saying okay you know what let's do that again <laughs> so <laughs> that point it became like a you know like a, a sort of uh, really like a positive mechanism that was, that was working very well is that i mean was that access that you guys were getting was that really what was driving interest in the blog like this kind of behind the scenes you get to see from like what feels like a normal person's perspective what a dior fashion show is like right or what you know you mentioned a few things in there in terms of what drove your success right so one good timing right so you're early in the market by the way i love that you're drinking a beer and i'm drinking a coffee it shows our two different uh time zones. <laughs> yeah cheers yeah. Uh, <laughs> cheers it's it's uh, 6 p.m here so it's perfect <laughs> 8, 8 a.m here so um so one i think you know you're early right which is good right so like for us we were very early on the influencer side and so it helped us too yeah two you said location so you're in the right place right so being in milan gave you access I think now what we see is a lot of the content creators that are successful are based in LA, right? Because that's yeah. where everybody else is, right? Um, yeah. Three, I think from a content perspective, you mentioned that you were trying to create really good quality content. Um, what do you mean yeah. by really good quality, right? Because you have obviously you have the content that you need to create for the you know brands, but then I think the audience is also equally as important. So, Absolutely. you know, what else would you say? Was was there anything else that contributed to your success? Because most people don't start a blog and then have 30,000, you know, daily views in less than a year. What what were the factors that drove that part of the success? Uh, I mean, no, not easy uh, collecting all of those, but uh, for sure, as I was saying, like the aim for quality, the, the sort of... Uh, professional approach that we had to work companies like again they were they were thinking of meeting uh, kids coming out from university they didn't know how to work we tried to have a really uh, professional approach so trying to learn how to deliver a proper presentation about a project a proper uh, you know like a, a basic thing like a proper email written properly with uh, all you know the, uh, the, the 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 also the for, not just the substance but also the the form you know that they needed so uh, that was something that for sure have, uh, helped and when I say that we try to uh, to be as professional as possible also because we hired professionals from the industry so mm. uh, as soon as we were finding somebody in the field that uh, knew what we were talking about but also maybe had a, b a bit of an experience into a, a corporate like we were immediately trying to hire and bring in our team because we knew that what we were missing was the corporate approach because we didn't have any kind of experience in that. Yeah. So that that was for sure something interesting. Then again, as I was saying, like uh, 
we try to invest a lot in the content. So we tried also to work with uh, a photographer. Like we, we really try to invest and uh, we are speaking about 2010. So unfortunately today, unfortunately it was not like today. Today, uh, the bar the entry barrier are, are a lot lower because you, with, uh, with an iPhone, you can, you can do really the best uh, contents possible back in the time. No. So we had to buy cameras, upgrade and buy new lenses and again, invest money in that and then invest money in getting a photographer. I studied, for example, also photography to try to help. I did like a couple of days courses with professional photographers that they were helping me and then they were trying to create our taste going really to photographic mm, exposition and whatever. Like we really were trying to grow and learn as much as we could because there, mm -hmm. there were really a lot of people, uh, sorry, a lot of things that we had to learn. Because as I was telling you, even HTML, like uh, uh, today we, you just open your Instagram account and it's done. For us, no. Like for us, yeah. we, had a, we had a blog, like we, Instagram was not there. Snapchat was not there. The word selfie was not there. <laughs> I always say this because <laughs> it's really giving you the, 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 the you know. Well, I mean, like this the, is pre-Instagram. I mean, even Facebook was just kind of getting going, I feel like, at that point. Yeah. 2009, 2010, yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, but I mean, uh, I think that uh, all these kind of things, uh, the fact that we were Italian also was very, very important. That Chiara was Italian, obviously, because uh, the fact that she was credible in speaking about fashion. Like, uh, mm. probably if she would have been... Uh, I don't know, like, but, but just even Spanish, uh, you know, it was different because, uh, and mm -hmm. I mean, there are great, uh, great influencers from Spain. I'm not saying that, but in yep. that period in which this is, was not something established, being Italian, speaking about style, also traveling around Italy, uh, ah, and also another key factor, we were really uh, open to the world. Like we were literally traveling every week around the world. And this also was something that uh, was kind of new for that moment. Like it was not normal 10 years ago to be every week on a plane, you know, to go a different place. Mm -hmm. But for us, it was because we really were curious. And that was something quite in, I mean, I think was one of the, of the factor, uh, the X factor, because we were going one week in Brazil, one week in Japan, one week in Russia, one week in the US. So we were really trying to explore the world, share this with our uh, users, with our followers, the readers of the blog, but also try to create network, connect and learn from every place we were going to try to, to assimilate. So I, I really think that um, no one of these factors could change your life, but all together, yes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that sounds like just a really exciting time in general, right? Like on the cutting edge, totally new things, totally new space. I think we had that early on where, you know, yeah, I was like 26. I think I was 25 when we started Tribe. And yeah, I'm 26 and I'm advising CMOs and VPs of marketing. And it's like, what? Like, why are you asking me for advice? Like, how do you? Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's yeah, exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think those are some of the positives, you know, for you guys, what were some of the mistakes that you made? Like what were things that you, know, you went into it and it didn't work out, right? Like I tried this and like, oh, wow, we learned that that didn't work or this didn't work. Were there any specific lessons that you remember there? Um, 
I mean, really generic. I mean, there are m- many particular things that didn't work out. Like, uh, I mean, going in a place that we realized no one was liking, speaking about a brand that we we realized no one was liking, or I mean, uh, even I mean, project that maybe for any kind of reason didn't work work out. But telling you that we really. Uh, did something that uh, was a big mistake <laughs> I cannot tell you as I was telling you like before like earlier like it's a bit hard to point out the mistakes because uh, uh, how to say like really no one uh, no one did different from us you know so yeah, I yeah. really cannot tell you, really <laughs> tell you if, if we did mistakes or not because uh, I, I don't know if there was a better way you know so uh, that's <laughs> there's the nobody thing, to like, compare yourself to like for example, when when we started uh, our um, the shoe brand called Chiara Ferrani Collection that we started in 2012 or 2013 something like that, a lot of people were saying, "Guys, you are crazy! You are making a lot of money with advertising, but if now you start selling your own products, everybody will will te- will not you know pay you anymore to advertise yeah. other products." But me, I was saying, to me, if we manage you know to keep this balance. It's going to be okay, you know, like, because uh, why not? Like already I'm speaking about 12 different brands. So if I am speaking about Gucci, Prada and Dior, no one is jealous of each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why they should jealous for of some, something that is not even really that level. And at the same time, we were completely aware as we are today that for any kind of influencer that is doing her own brand, it's really important to keep all the other brands because anyway, mm-hmm. it's interesting for the public because no one can be interested in just one thing, in just one brand. And even if you have to start up a brand, positioning in the middle of very cool high-hand brand, it's just going to make better the position of that brand because like, mm-hmm. like you get on a window and you find a shoe from Prada, a shoe from Gucci, a shoe from uh, this, and then you find the shoes from whatever. That whatever is going to immediately gain a lot of point, you know, in your mind. So, for example, that a lot of people, they were suggesting wrongly that, that we were doing wrongly to launch that. It turned good. So, again, I cannot, I don't know if we make, made it turn good or what was just a good idea in general. But um, that, that was something that, for example, was very, very, let's say, a tough uh, decision that we got. That Because mm-hmm. uh, a risky decision that we got. But it turned good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was good. That, that was good. Like, um, maybe we could have changed the brand. Because maybe calling Exali with the name uh, was a bit... Uh, Helped a lot in the short term, obviously, because of the popularity of Chiara. In the long term, is making that uh, way more complicated, I think. Because anyway, mm-hmm. it's very linked to the image of the celebrity. The celebrity in general becomes uh, quite linked to the brand. And if something is happening to the celebrity, the, the maybe, I don't know, whatever. Eh? Like even personal decision of uh, moving on another place and, I don't know, going fishing in uh, Tanzania and not uh, yeah. work anymore. Anyway, you know, there is a name. So that maybe today I, w- I would have changed that. But uh, again, probably if, if if I didn't do 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't know today, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, it's tough to, like we see, I mean, obviously there's a ton of brands 
that have been created that are, you know, eponymous with the founder, right? Where they have the same name as the founder. And I think historically investors have shied away from those brands because it's just very high totally. risk, right? Um, cause what if, right. okay, I buy the company and then, you know, the founder doesn't care anymore or I buy the company and the founder goes and crazy, right? Like, what do I do? And so, um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, people are getting a lot more comfortable with that. Um, and I think that over time, you know, it becomes more and more disconnected from the celebrity. I think the bigger the brand gets, um, sure. Which is actually a question that I had. So, you know, around the time that you left, right? So you left, I think, 2016 or 2017, something like that? Mid-2017. Okay. Um, so around the time that you left, what were the revenue splits? Like how much was coming from the collection? How much was coming from advertising? How much was coming from, you know, you had the crew, right? Which was more like an agency as well. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, but basically mostly internal agency. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's say, that, yeah. I, I I will give you numbers that uh, I, I don't remember if they are completely precise sincerely, but uh, yeah. more or less uh, the revenues of 2017 mm, they should have done uh, should have been something like around uh, five six millions all the the blonde salad and Chiara image business so. Yep. Basically, the revenues from advertising, the, sa the, the sales on the Blonde Salad, because the Blonde Salad became also an e-commerce, uh, apart mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. the brand. And the brand was more between 15, 20 million. Now, I don't remember okay. because every year was quite oscillated, like, you know, like, uh, but yeah, around that, that amount. So let's say that all, all together was more than 20 million. Well, I'd have to say the uh, launching the brand sounds like it was a good decision if it was 75% of the <laughs> revenue. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. I mean, obviously with a completely different marginality, but uh, yes, I mean, like uh, speaking about the business was definitely a good, a good uh, decision. <laughs> yeah. And then how, you know, talk to me about kind of leaving a company that you helped start, right? So you started this company from the ground up. Um, and obviously, you know, for those that don't know, you and Kiara dated at the beginning for a yeah. long time, um, but ultimately, you know, um, separated and then continued running the business. Um, what More was it like? Years. Yeah. What what was it like kind of walking away from a business that you had been in for so long? Right. Like, I don't know how long that is. Almost what, eight years, nine years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seven years because we, we started basically in the beginning. It start, the, the blog started in 2009, but then the, the real business started in 2010 and in 2017, I, I left. I mean, it's hard. It's a very tough decision, very, very tough decision, but um, exactly for the same reason that uh, the investor, as you were saying, they don't want to invest uh, maybe or they are shy investing uh, in this kind of business. At the same time, if you're partnering with a celebrity in something that is around those personalities you take the risk that uh, the day that something i mean if you're not aligned anymore for sure you will be the one you know leaving not not the mm -hmm. other because the other one is <laughs> it's not gonna happen you know because yeah, anyway the yeah. business is is related so I, I i i try to be more rational as as i mean rational as possible and uh, i understood that uh, what i could give in that moment and what i could learn from that reality was almost over and um, like we Chiara and me we had very I mean different sort of entrepreneurial mindset at that point to me was the moment to start 
after learning for many years to start really investing in the future. But for her, it was a completely different moment of her career. Her, mm -hmm. she was really a huge celebrity that wanted to do other things, uh, focusing on herself, on her. And uh, I mean, there is no right or wrong. It's just yeah. uh, obviously when, when you partner with somebody, and again, it's not just a celebrity or not, but in general, when you partner with somebody at a certain part, at a certain point, could happen that you take different paths because life brings you to different, different paths. You know, you have mm -hmm. different experiences, maybe, maybe personal experiences or whatever. So maybe at a certain point, you get a different point. And we, we exactly got at that point. Her, she wanted to invest a lot more on herself. Me, I wanted to invest a lot more in my entrepreneurial attitude and, and managerial attitude. So like, like really building a business, a platform, something. So mm -hmm. I just decided, and as I realized it was not uh, my, my partner was not aligned with me. I was the one that had to, you know, had to leave. So that was happened. It's not easy. Definitely not yeah. because, uh, you feel that you gave so much that you invested so, you know, so many, so much energy, so much time. But again, like, uh, as I was telling you also before, uh, before again, uh, about the brand or whatever, like apart from the economic side that can be satisfactory or not, but what you learn in experience like that also as my first experience is absolutely the greatest richness that, uh, I could uh, get from that. And I know that still today it's one, uh, of the main, uh, the key factor that is uh, driving me in take one decision or the other, investing in a process, advising a company. I really, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful for whatever I had, I had. So I'm really happy for every single experience that I had in the blonde salad, uh, in the blonde salad experience. And I, I don't have any regret. And that I think it's the most uh, important thing. Everything I did, I did because I was really believing and I was really passionate about that. And thankfully it has been a great uh, success. I think it couldn't even have been growing even more, but again, I was not the only one leading the company. So that's it. Totally. And I think it's really easy to understand the motivations on both sides, right? It's like for her, yeah, yeah. And she's gone on to continue to do very well, right. In the path that she ultimately yeah. led. And I think it's hard to, on your side, say, no, no, let's, let's make you this, right? <laughs> Which is, uh, so yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, but I think it's, you know, everybody, I think wins in the end, right? So, um, let's talk about your yeah. business philosophies a little bit. So one of the things yeah. that I noticed as kind of a general theme is this kind of long-term approach, right? Long-term thinking. Um, so some of the things that you mentioned in the other interviews and articles I read were, you know, quality over quantity when it came to content, um, only partnering with brands that elevated your image, even if the other one was going to pay you a lot of money, um, or taking the DNA of your brand very seriously. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of how that evolved. Like what, what brought you to thinking that a long-term approach was the right way to, to think about things. And then how has that changed the way that you approach business, right? Like, how do you plan? Like, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that specifically. But uh, I think that somehow um, this is a big part of my mindset. And it, it's something that probably comes with, with your, you know, characteristic and not necessarily even in that, even about this, not necessarily that's the right decision, but that's the right decision for me. 
as I mm -hmm. like to work. So I am a very empathic and emotional person. So I like to build up something, build up emotion. And uh, for myself, up to, my, up to me, for myself, like an emotion is something that uh, give me memories, give me uh, depth, you know, in the relation. So even building up mm -hmm. for me, for example, long-term relationship with companies, it's something very important because it's going to motivate me a lot, you know, a lot more in in working hard for that company, in working hard for that project, in really building up, uh, you know, a, a building up something. I, I think that probably I, I listened too many times in my, in my teenagerhood, uh, uh, the song from Morchiba, Rome wasn't built in a day, because I really <laughs> got that, you know, and I really mm -hmm. made that my, my kind of my mindset. I really believe that if you want to do Rome, I mean, for sure, you can be very lucky or super smart, but uh, both things are quite aleatory because even being super smart to me, uh, yeah, you can be, but not necessarily all, all the, you know, condition can be there for you in that moment. So I prefer to think of doing well for a long time is going to bring to result. At, at that point, no matter what, but I'm sure it's going to bring result because, you know, pushing hard immediately for the immediate result, you can be very lucky or you can, you know, be very good in that. It's not my case. I mean, I am lucky, but uh, I don't want to count on that. You know what I mean? So I want to count on mm -hmm. the hard work and the long-term strategy. If then luck, help me, luck helps, helps me better, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I want to I wanna be independent from that. So this is something that uh, absolutely al always have been um, my sort of mindset in doing things, in, uh, in, uh, in doing projects. Sometimes, and, and this is obviously is affecting a lot uh, what I'm doing even today. For example, I'm not investing in projects that uh, um, could be easy money immediately or are already mm -hmm. planning of making an exit uh, tomorrow. Uh, first of all, doesn't doesn't really uh, happen usually because uh, they're, they're not gonna ask you to invest if tomorrow they they, go, they are thinking about doing an exit. But anyway, like uh, I prefer to invest in very early stage in project that have a long path in front of them because in that way, as my mindset is that I know that I can help them grow and I will be the kind of investor that will dare even in five years helping them. Other kind of, I'm not a fund. I don't have investor behind me. I don't have, uh, you know, like uh, uh, KPIs for my invest investment. I just wanted to, to get into interesting projects. So if those projects are interesting, I want to be involved and I want to be involved for a while if they, you know, if they're <laughs> interesting because I, I like them. So why, why should I think about getting, you know, outside? And this is exactly also what I'm doing, for example, for when I work, let's say, as an influencer, as, as I also do that, I also thought, like, I don't want to get easy money doing triples for this amount of money because, first of all, the, let's say, influencer revenues, maybe it's the 10% of my revenue. So I have, obviously, I, I'm in a very uh, easy and uh, easy position in which I, I can handle that with the, you know, left hand and it's not going to be a problem. But in reality, I think that uh, the approach that I, I 
set up a few years ago in this kind of relationship, probably it's a, it's a very healthy approach that is going to be uh, more and more, I think, uh, common in the future. Because me, I'm speaking only to companies that, first of all, I am a client. So if I'm not a client, I will not be authentic in communicating that to, 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 to my followers. First of all, because they are not following me because I am an influencer, because I'm not a influencer as you know as common sense i'm not doing that as a job so they they will expect from me even more authenticity in what i'm saying and what i'm sharing second i cannot work uh, with uh, 3000 company i have to pick three four that's it because uh, i don't really have the time or the occasion to go to all the events all the things so i have to really select well and again, I'm a very bad actor, so I'm not able to fake it. So if I if I wanna if I wanna share cool contents, I, I really must have fun in doing that. So mm -hmm. that's why I picked uh, one company in the watch industry, one company in the fashion industry, one company in the car industry, one company in the beverage industry that are really aligned with my taste are really brands that I would buy. I mean, usually I buy. So, and, and I, but as I'm, as I'm picking few, obviously I know that I can um, deploy more value if we build up a long-term relationship. So with mm -hmm. all this company, mm -hmm. I build up yearly relationship. So it's, it's, it's going way more way you know over just the posting or not posting also because i am not so strong you know as you were saying i have 300,000 followers but that maybe for a for an entrepreneur it's a lot but for an influencer is nothing so <laughs> obviously what what i have to to try to give them you know it's a lot more value than just the visibility on my on my social media channel so i know that if we build up a long term uh, relationship i will be able to deliver a lot a lot bigger value so that that's um, also how, for example, this mindset is reflecting in this world. Say, okay, few, not not so many company, but well done. So I will give you my advice, even if you have to organize an event. I will give you my advice about who inviting, who not inviting. You have to give the product. You have to launch a new capsule. I will help you, even from the strategic point of view, from the advisory point of view. And I, because in this way, even more, I feel part of the brand. So I'm wearing a Brooks Brother every single day because I love the product, because I love the company. And I feel very, you know, I really, I, I became friends of all the men, all the top managers, the managers, even the, even the, the people in the stores, like the, the sales associate in the store, because I am really hanging out with them, you know? So I'm, I'm really connected with the team. I'm really connected with the brand because I like the heritage. I like the story. I like that they dressed 50, uh, US president. So I, as, as I'm obviously aiming to be with the 50 ones. So <laughs> I'm kidding, but seriously, like, you know, I, I, it's just a matter of uh, probably I, I'm 34. I got that. I, at 34, I got how I am and that I can get, I can give a lot bigger value in that way than in another. It wouldn't work for me. So I would get bored probably soon. So <laughs> because I don't, I don't see really value creating, you know, like uh, when you are somebody that like to create value, it takes time. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm very aligned with that. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that people make earlier in their careers 
is thinking about what's going to be the next year, right? Or what's going to be the next few years. It's like, no, 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 you're going to be working for 40 years, 50 years. Like, what do you want to do in 40 or 50 years? And then how does that get you closer to that goal, right? Um, I think I've said it on the podcast before, but the quote I always liked from Bill Gates was um, people always overestimate what they can do in a year and always underestimate what they can do in a decade, right? In 10 years. And so, Very true, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan. It's, uh, it's really cool to hear you say that. And I think, again, like you said, other people have different approaches. It doesn't mean this is the only one that works, but I think for me, uh, it's the one that I'm a big believer in as well. Even though, you know, obviously sometimes you make mistakes in short-term thinking, you try to be long-term as much as you can. But Uh, I totally agree. And again, like uh, if you have a short, if you have a short-term approach in dealing with a project, if you do a mistake, you have a very short time to get over that. But if you yeah. reason on a long term, like uh, you can do mistakes, you can learn from that and do better after. And this is something that um, as I am quite, it's, it's quite bizarre because um, I am very, very conservative in my personal life, but I am very impulsive in my business life. So I think mm. that I did. I am the kind of entrepreneur that I prefer to do or and then learn to do, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of learning how to do that and then starting doing yep. it. I'm definitely the opposite. So for me, it's fundamental thinking on a long term because probably I will do do mistakes and learn how to do better. And uh, for sure, in the long term, I can make probably better of somebody that before tried to learn how to do that and then did because anyway you cannot learn as much as you is, you do while you are doing you know i don't know if it yeah. is correct english sorry but but uh i did you get I'm, the concept right i'm the exact same way right so for me like it's like we decided to do this podcast and we actually did it before covid right so this is in february and I was like, I really want to do a podcast. I think everybody internally was like, okay, okay, okay. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And they're like, what? And so like that week I emailed uh, Ipsy, who's a partner of ours. And I was like, hey, can I use your studio space in LA for these two interviews on Thursday? This is like on Monday. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, so then I emailed some friends in LA. I'm like, hey, do you want to come do an interview? Like da 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 da. And so then they, they agreed. So then I wrote out the questions for the interview and then did it Thursday and shot two of them that day and then flew down, I think the next week and shot two more. And then I just <laughs> sent the team like, okay, here's all the videos. And they're like, what? Like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I shot all the videos. Here you go. <laughs> and they're like, oh shit. Like, I guess we're doing a podcast, you know? And they were, they were more involved in that. But I think generally, um, you know, I'm again, and like there were many mistakes that I made. In those early podcasts, like in the first one, sure. I must say, or the second one, I say the word yes, like 150 times. Like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I shouldn't tell people that. It's so annoying. I didn't even know it. But again, <laughs> that was the way that I learned, right? was by doing it. So um, yeah. again, it's I, not everybody's approach. Other people like to plan and that's that's good. But for me, I think yeah. starting is the, it's starting and then learning is the exciting way to do it. Totally, um, totally so. Agree. 
So you've been an investor, right, in a bunch of different companies. Um, so what, you know, for you, obviously long-term thinking, I would imagine is something that you look for when you're investing in a company. Um, but what are the other things you look for in the leader of these other businesses? Because I know you cited that, you know, for you, delegation and finding really great leaders is kind of one of your, one of the things that you look for. Um, what do you look for in those leaders when you're investing in those businesses? Um, I mean, this is one, I think, uh, of the hottest question in the venture capital world, <laughs> but, mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. is, I mean, it is one of the most fundamental. So it's, uh, it's absolutely right to, to try to, let's say, to explore. So uh, like my approach is absolutely, as you, as you, as you said, like something long-term, but uh, my approach is uh, that I like, um, uh, people i don't like ideas because mm -hmm. as we as we all know because uh, i mean this is quite common this is quite known also in this industry like probably the idea count for the one percent of the possibility of the success the 99 percent is made by the execution the execution are made by the people and the people are hired by the leader and the founder usually <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> everything is starting from that people from that person, yeah. sorry, or, or I mean, maybe that bunch of people, if it is two, three co-founder, because I've never started anything by myself. I all, I, I'm definitely quite aware that I cannot do everything. So I prefer to have people that are doing well, what, what I, I definitely, I'm not definitely able. So I, I'm trying to look, first of all, for the passion in that person, mm -hmm. for what, what he, she is doing, because you know, the big thing is that today uh, it's not 2009, for example, when I started. It's not 2004 when Mark Zuckerberg started. It's not, uh, I mean, we are in a moment. Obviously, I'm not uh, making a, a comparison between me and Mark, but just saying that yeah, yeah. There, there have been moments in which an industry was started, like uh, Facebook, it has been the biggest uh, uh, social media world breakout. Uh, we, when we started, it was the moment in which everybody in the influencer world was, uh, I mean, w when everything was starting in the influencer world, like th there are quite interesting moments. And if you are not, but today it's not like today we have millions of app, millions of influencer, millions of startups all around the world. We are in a very competitive world because you are competing with uh, potentially with any other human on earth because the world is global and there are, I mean, I think lower entry barriers to entrepreneurship than ever, probably. Mm -hmm. So you really need somebody that is really passionate about what he's going to do, because if he's not going to have enough passion, he for sure is going to give up. So mm -hmm. probably before the, you know, the right moment, because as you know, I don't know if you experienced exactly the same thing, but me, for example, Many times, me personally, I experienced in my life and I, I can see like many times, maybe you struggle for one, two, three, four years. And then from a day to the other, completely, the business completely changed because finally the market is mature for your business. Mm -hmm. Finally, enough customers uh, understood your business and the word of mouth is exploding. Like there are many factors that maybe can, you know, can get a line and make that. But is that founder the right person to be passionate enough till that moment? So this is the first question that you have to do. 
to to make i mean to to yourself in when you are speaking to somebody because um i mean not necessarily the passion uh only about the the industry but in general the passion for the business the passion for the project the ambition the determination you know like uh, uh, there are all these kind of uh, let's say soft skill that you really have to look for into the founder then obviously the capability also to to handle and to hire other people i think it's something very important because uh, again mm. as i was saying that's the starting point of everything uh, n- not every not every company and i mean i think very few uh, they have an hr manager in the beginning so the mm. the ceo and the founder he, he is the hr manager for probably the first uh, few years of the company so that person must have a sort of empathy must have a sort of uh, you know capability to understand people to motivate them to uh, align them with the with his vision and his and obviously this you know is going through many characteristics like the capability to share the vision the cap- the ability to uh involve and motivate and I, from a, from a talk you can understand that, that person you know you can understand those kind of things from from a call i'm not really the kind of guy that is evaluating uh, uh, if you are if you have the right cost per acquisition of your customer if you have the right uh, you know all those kind of hard skill i think that you can learn and mm-hmm. i have people in my team that can teach you you know what i mean <laughs> so uh, that's not a big that's not a big deal first thing i i want to understand if you have the soft skill for that because if you don't have i cannot teach you i'm not saying that is your mom that should do that but i don't know who who should do that but not me i cannot do that you know uh-huh. so but but other things i i can i can help you in getting or me or maybe other investor or maybe uh, anyway other stakeholder so that's what really i like uh, as a, as a, as i was telling you even before about marketing i really like the human side of marketing as i like the human side of entrepreneurship uh so i i am way more sensitive to that so i try to evaluate that then obviously it happened a few times that uh, i i really like the person really like the person then uh, with my for example with my investment manager that person was completely unable to handle the business because mm-hmm. came out that really he didn't have any kind of uh, let's say ability to plan the numbers the economics behind the business to point out exactly the right business model so we decided anyway not to get on board because really was uh, w- would have been too hard to help them like we are just two people in my in my holding company so it's me and uh, and my investment manager so we know that obviously our resources both economics and uh, you know human workforce are limited so we try to find the 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 best trade off also in the kind of project that we get in yeah i mean it's i think it's when you look at most businesses i think having both somebody who can recruit and sell and market the business and be that human element and also having somebody who's going to be able to forecast understand the numbers etc is also critical I think for us, we, we invested in that pretty heavily over the last couple of years. Cause I think for the first 
quite a few years of the business, it was really just a feel thing, right? Just kind of feeling it out. And of course we were making more money than we were losing and, you know, we were running the business in a responsible way. But I think understanding the numbers in a really deep way is meaningful. Um, but I think on your side where that matches up as well on the investment philosophy is part of the reason that you're investing is to build these relationships over time. So making sure that this is somebody that you want to invest in, not only for today, but that you want to work with for 10, 20, 30 years, maybe is, uh, is important, right? Like building out that community or network. Like I want all the people that we've ever worked with to be somebody that we might work together again, right? Especially the people that are very good. And so, you know, um, thinking about things in that way, I think is, uh, is pretty critical. Um, so let's talk about one of your investments. I just, I was looking through all your different investments and they're all very interesting, but given that we don't have, I I could talk for hours, but we're going to try and be smart with our time. One of the ones that stood out was, was Depop, right? Just for the specifically for our audience. I think it's very interesting. And for those that don't know, they do, I believe it's like secondhand clothing. You can go on and sell your own clothes or buy clothes from other people. Um, and they've gone to do very well, it seems. Um, one of the things that you talked about was you got involved early on when they had about a hundred thousand users and then you really focused on helping them build out their influencer strategy. Um, and obviously that's the reason that a lot of people come to us, right? So what were the specific tactics that you used or that you recommended for Depop? And then do you think influencers had a pretty big role in their growth? And if so, you know, like what were the tactics? Um, did it have a big impact and, you know, what worked and what didn't for, for Depop specifically, if you remember? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I kind of remember. I'm old, but not so old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about the same age. I'm like a year younger than you. So, you know, I yeah. I have, uh, you know, I have some things I forgot to. I, I, unfortunately, you're completely right. Me too. I'm starting forgetting many things. But uh, no, no, I remember, I, I remember because it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was quite fun, this, this period. Like, um Basically, in the beginning, as as you mentioned, when I jumped uh, on the project, when Simon Beckerman, the founder, uh, asked me to to help him, it it was 2013, I think. Um, and for example, I'm very bad in remembering the timing. The timing, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a while ago. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, a while ago. It was probably 2013, and there were around 100, 150,000 uh, active users. So basically. For sure, it was something that, I mean, was already, you know, starting working, but uh, the real challenge was to scale it up as it was something very niche back in the time, you know, was something, okay, like there is somebody that wants to sell those things, uh, their things, how to bring this at another level. And obviously it was already two, three years that I was working uh, full time on uh, on the blonde salad and in general in the in the influencer world because for example in 2011 i founded the first influencer agency in milan so <laughs> probably one of the first in go. the world because it was 10 years ago so i really was experiencing you know a stronger uh, a stronger um, uh, i mean strong experience sorry for the repeating a strong experience into yeah. the influencer world so i realized how uh, how they could really, uh, let's say, uh, 
apart from bringing people, but they really they could really enjoy using the pop those kind of figure because of the gifting, because of the maybe even collab, because of their own brands or whatever. So basically, it was um, an easy platform, very easy because uh, had exactly the layout of. Instagram back in the time. So mm -hmm. it was basically an Instagram with a sell button. So the, or a buy yeah. button. So the idea is, okay, it's very easy for our, uh, for our target. Uh, we want to, to get people that are so, uh, that it's very easy for them to that, uh, let's say layout. So for people that are active on Instagram, that are following, that are interested in fashion. So mm -hmm. why, what better than fashion influencer, you know, to do that. So basically we started uh, also with the idea of using a sort of pyramidal system. So let's start from the top. Let's take the biggest, you know, because then probably the second, third tier influencer blogger, because in the, back in the time where probably we were still using the blogger world, like they were saying, uh, probably they will jump on board because if they see that top influencer are using, they will, they will follow. And basically this is what happened. What also did the pop that was great was really established in every country, like uh, in uh, UK mainly, in Italy, uh, I think also in, probably in Spain, in France, I don't remember exactly, then obviously in US, they established little offices where there was somebody helping the influencer to handle their store. Uh, mm. So they, this was very easy because a big influencer that is traveling, getting a lot of gifts, gift, uh, having a lot of product, they don't have the time, you know, to take every single piece, take a picture, put, do all the community management and stuff like that. So they gave for free this kind of service at the top uh, influencer that wanted to join. And this was something that uh, uh, we put all together, you know, like we put all together this kind of strategy. We realized that when we were proposing uh, influencers, they were really enjoying and they were getting on board uh, in this project. Some of those, they were donating all the revenues uh, to charity or to NGOs. Some of those, maybe a part, some, some of those, they were selling uh, maybe the products coming from, uh, you know, other, you know, even from their brands or whatever. So... This not only, I think, brought a lot of people on the pop, but had probably a second effort that we, I think we were not even expecting. If I remember well, we were not even expecting that uh, mm -hmm. brought people to think that they could also sell uh, not necessarily secondhand thing, but in general, cool thing. So mm. basically... Uh, started also the phenomena of the depopper, the real depopper that are those people that live thanks to depop. So they go around, for example, in the weekend for the vintage market, they collect cool thing, they go home and they create a cool store. Basically, they are a sort of buyer, you know, of their mm -hmm. own little store on depop. And these, uh, I mean, for for like for Instagram, having the top content uh, creator is fundamental to have cool content. That's exactly the same thing for the pop. Basically, I, I always said that uh, Instagram basically made people uh, editor-in-chief of their life and, and, and their profile uh, as much as the pop made people, uh, I don't know, head of buyer of their e-commerce, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. in a very easy way, because then every time the important thing is to make it easy, you know? Because uh, when we started, as I was saying, as when we started for blogger, as blogger, we needed a camera, professional camera, downloading picture, modifying, uh, uploading, HTML, like 
too complicated. Few things wanted to go, you know, through that bullshit. But then Instagram, <laughs> poof, like, you know, opened the, the world to many other people yeah. that maybe they had even bigger talent in content crea- creation, but the technical aspect were limiting. Depop did exactly the same. Like even a small, I mean, small little businesses, small vintage store, they created their profile. Pip collectors, they created their profile on Depop. And this really helped to make it, you know, go big because... Uh, if you were finding cool things and not just, uh, you know, the the old stuff that you didn't want anymore or super used and stuff like that, obviously made also the platform way more attractive for, for the public. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the kind of enabling them to become basically merchants, right, of their own little stores yeah. is super cool. Um, so let's talk about... So we're kind of on the topic of influencers. So we'll do two more questions and then we'll do the last couple end of end of show fun questions. So the first of the last two would be, you know, on the influencer side, if you were advising a brand, say you invested in a new luxury brand that's just getting started. Um, obviously, Depop is different, right? It's a store. It's a different experience. But as a brand, you know, what would be your advice to them when they're approaching the influencer space? They say, hey, Ricardo, I know I need to invest in influencers. It's a new luxury brand. What would you tell them to do? Like, what would be the first steps and, and, and philosophies you think would be good for them? Uh, I am doing that. So I can tell yeah, you. Exactly there you go. I figured you were. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the first thing that I am suggesting that, by the way, it's not just something that you should do uh, if you want to invest in an influencer, but you should do anyway. It's really trying to understand what kind of personas you want to reach. Because uh, mm-hmm. I really saw, I really watched these, uh, I mean, phenomena during the past year. Like uh, we really lived, uh, we really got sort of drunk of numbers and we mm-hmm. completely forgot about the targets, the audience that we wanted to reach. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's like the big difference from the past of uh, Instagram was that you had uh, the number of followers. And before it was not possible to understand uh, a magazine, how many copies uh, was selling, a TV show, how many people had in that moment viewing, you know, like uh, watching that show. What what really Instagram, the, the big news that Instagram, the social media in general brought is numbers, you know, like the, the, the direct numbers. So we all got so focused on that, but we forgot all the rest. So now I think that it's time to get back to that. And uh, because as, as we have a more evolved culture about influencer, about social media in general. So now what is really important is, okay, I have this beer. This beer is Italian, is uh, average uh, quality, is uh, uh, tasty, but not too much, blah, blah, blah. So what kind of people I can reach, I can sell this? Okay, it's that person, that person, that person. Perfect. How those people are getting entertained? This is what it's really important. How those people are getting influence in their consumption. So get on those, you know, on those factor of influence that maybe it's not the, for example, I want to sell a new car to a guy. Probably they're not going to follow the biggest fitness influencer or whatever, even mm-hmm. if he has 5 million. Obviously, 
you know, statistically speaking, out of 5 million, probably somebody interested, there's going to be. But what is the ROI? What is the return on investment? How much I have to pay to have one post with that guy when maybe uh, that little collector of watches that uh, is uh, sharing only uh, 30,000 euro watches, maybe he has only... 20,000 uh, 20, I mean 20, followers, but those 20,000 followers, probably the 90% are prospect clients for my, I don't know, Mercedes-Benz car. So probably mm-hmm. I'm, if I found uh, uh, 10 of those profile, I can sell way more cars with a l- way lower investment than just getting one bigger influencer, lifestyle influencer or fitness influencer, travel influencer, whatever that uh, is, is reaching it way uh you know a huge uh amount of uh, people and by the way with uh, maybe even a, a topic that it's not very related to his kind of editorial strategy this is something that uh, i, I th- these are for me the main topic like check a person if that what kind of audience that person have if it is in line with the kind of uh, customers that you have and the way that they get entertained and then if you are, if you want to ask him to create contents about you, be sure that those contents will be authentic on his page. Because unfortunately, sometimes influencers are way influenced themselves by money, by, you know, maybe yeah, even yeah. the, I don't know, the ambition of working with few brands and stuff like that. But at the same time, they're not taking in consideration that maybe they are speaking about something that is not, uh, I mean... Or that their audience just won't be interested yeah. in, right? And that they aren't. Indeed. I mean, we we take it kind of, I think, a step further in saying, like, you should really only work with people that are either already talking about you or talking about brands similar to you, right? So, like, okay, yeah. let's go and find the people that maybe they're either talking about me as a car brand or they're talking about brands that are similar to me, right, close to me. And so I know that their audience is interested in this content, right? So like, you know, for you, it's like for you as an influencer, if I was a motorcycle brand, if I'm Triumph, right? Like Ricardo is my number one, right? Like I need to go find him right now because he- I am Triumph customer since 20 years. (laughs) There you go, right? So like you're a customer, you ride the bike, you see it in the content, right? Like, and so when you partner with them, it's much more authentic, right? Just like your Brooks brother discussion. And so for me, and then on top of that, I think what that does is then everybody else goes, oh, wow, look at Triumph. Wow, that's so cool. They're partnering with somebody that's a really big fan, right? They worked with Ricardo, even though he's not Johnny Depp, who has, you know, tens of millions of fans, but he has 300,000 and he's really interested in our products, right? And so I think having that approach makes a ton of sense. Um, And then again, like you said, with yourself on the creator side, having a long-term approach to those relationships, it's not just about, one piece of content or one campaign, but like, I want this to be somebody I work with for 10 years, 20 years, like really long time. Yeah. Right. Fundamental. Um, okay. And then on the, so I think the last question, last serious question is, uh, you know, I think you're the first person on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm starting, sorry, sorry, but I'm starting getting scared about the two funny questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if you answer them on air. So the, uh, so the, on the book side, uh, or so that's what I wanted to talk about was books, right? So I think you're the first person yep. to write a book of the podcast, which is fun. Um, so cool. tell me about that process. Like what was the purpose in writing the book? And then, you know, what was the process? Like, was it hard? Was it easy? What were the hard parts? 
Um, would love to hear about that. And you wrote, a, I think you've written two books now and you're working on a third. True. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. true. Uh, by the way, I have really to congratulate with you about all the information that you got and how precise you were in your, I mean, uh, researching because you, you have way more information than what I have about myself. So that, that's a really <laughs> great job. <laughs> you have no idea. I've watched, I watched your, I've watched multiple interviews, read the articles. I watched your wedding video, which is actually a question oh. that I skipped. Cause it's like, oh, that's like, I can't imagine putting my wedding online and that's, uh, but you know, that's a whole thing. So anyway, so let's talk about books. Yeah. Let's focus on that. Okay. Um, so okay, okay, yeah. So what, what was the thinking in terms of writing the books and, um, and then what, you know, what were, what were some of the hard parts about writing it? Um, so what was the thinking? I mean, basically, um, I'm a person that I like to share certain type of contents. Okay. I like to share my experience. Uh, for, for example, during coronavirus, during COVID quarantine, I, 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 me too. I did, a, I created podcast. I, I interviewed few people and I did the Instagram live because I like to share. I like to share the idea of doing, you know, mm -hmm. because, uh, maybe even because I am Italian and I am in a, in a, in a, one of the, uh, social economy or let, let's say society in which is hardest to change your path in life. In, uh, in, in Italy, like, uh, they always say that, uh, statistically it's one of the, uh, it's one of the country in the world where you have, obviously I'm speaking about, uh, Western world, let's say, uh, or, uh, I mean, first here, economically speaking, world in which if you are born uh, from people making bread, probably you will just open a store of bread, but not farther, you know, because of tradition, because of rule, because of bureaucracy, because of uh, heritage, because of many things. Um, so I really like the idea that we can go over that, you know, we can bring uh, Italy to a more Let's say, okay, I mean, we have a great tradition, great story, great art, whatever, but all of that is in the past. We have to look at the future and try to exploit that to change our lives if we want. And by sharing my experience, I hope just that that can be an inspiration for other people to reason as I did. Me, I just reason in many times in my life, I thought, wow, I'm doing something that I I wouldn't never expected to do yesterday and I feel good. So it's just sometimes just a matter of freedom, you know, in your mm -hmm. mindset. And so, unfortunately for many reasons, as I was saying in Italy, this is probably hard. So I like to share those kind of contents. And at a certain point, I was starting thinking sincerely about writing a book about my uh, experience, entrepreneurial experience. And when I decided to leave the Blonde Salad, so to let's say, uh, close the first phase of my career, of my, you know, very brief career back in the time, because it was just seven years, eight years, said, okay, this is the right moment to write it, to share, first of all, and second, to remember. Because this is something that uh, I already heard somebody that is writing book to remember, and I'm saying that uh, 
I'm very, very thrilled to read my first book, even today. Indeed, I was thinking to go back reading that uh, in August, but in reality, I w- I'm very thrilled to read that in five years and try to see what I, what I was thinking back in the time, what I, what I learned back in the time about uh, about business, what, what was my experience, what was my knowledge, what was my mindset. And first of all, because uh, maybe I, c- I can get lost in the future, and second, because I mean, it's a sort of diary. Indeed, mm-hmm. I really, I really, I really wrote that with the, with this mindset. So that's why, I, thankfully, I received a, a lot of compliments for m- mostly for how it is written. So I receive a lot of content uh, compliments of people saying, "Wow, it really looks like you are speaking to your best friend." But that, that's exactly how, how I thought about that. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to have this kind of tone of voice, like uh, I was speaking to my best friend, to my little brother, and whatever, and, and telling him, "Dude, if you are launching a business, please think global." Okay, we are in 2017, <laughs> uh, yeah. 18, so you have like very basic thing. I'm not speaking about uh, nuclear science or whatever. I'm just speaking about starting up a business. And that was really my my aim and making it easy because uh, uh, we should take even making business a bit easier, I think, sometimes because that's the best way to make business. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. uh, don't be afraid to, to do mistakes. Don't be afraid to be judged and, or whatever. Just take it easy. Try and you're gonna learn. And uh, re- like writing a book. Uh, so basically, this was these two things: share, try to inspire people, and also have for myself like a more egoistic uh, aim to have a sort of uh, diary of what I was back in the time. And this is the first book. The second book, it's a bit more a responsible book, we can say, because the second book I wrote it with the aim of reminding people that social media, but because it was just something that I I was feeling that social media are a great thing, really great thing uh, that really they can empower people, but they can be very dangerous. So Mm -hmm. we have really to learn how to handle that and how to approach to, to, to this, to this tool. So I wrote uh, this book that is divided by a chapter about the, I, I, I don't remember exactly how you say in English, but I think the seven uh, vices could be. Mm-hmm. Um, is that right? I so, think that's correct, yeah. So basically, I divided about those as it is something very real. But at the same time, I try to speak about those from the social media point of view. So, for example, the anger that it's, a, it's one of the seven capital vice and saying, look at all the hating that there is on social media and how to protect, how to avoiding that and, and blah, blah, blah. So basically, I really, I, I always, as I experienced huge growth on social media, not myself, but in general, seeing also the people around myself and I saw all the uh, behind the scene of that, I really realized how dangerous can be for the yeah. public, for the people doing that, for young, for, you know, the kids that today are approaching uh, uh, that. I, many times I, I also have been called in uh, universities to speak about, uh, I mean, the, con- the, the, the legal consequence of your ac- activity on social media, how the, the, the world, the legislation su- should evolve according to that. So it's quite an important topic that our society has to face. So I, I, I just realized that I wanted to try to share that. And um, 
somehow I realized that writing books for me, it's one of probably the best way to put concept, uh, uh, you know, f- f- put them in a, in a sort of uh, stable uh, uh, form, shape and, and leave them, uh, leave them, uh, you know, at the, at the public. It's not, it's, I'm not so comfortable speaking about a few topics on social media, for example. And sometimes I think that on social media, uh, social media are a bit too fast to speak about some, some topics. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe some, maybe somebody can do that. Me personally, I can't. I, as you can see from this interview, I quite like speaking a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, probably great. social media would be, would be a too short. Uh, I mean, the span of attention is too short. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the reason that I like these really long form interviews, right? Because you just get, if you talk to somebody for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you just don't get very much. But if you talk to somebody yeah. for an hour or an hour and a half, you actually learn a lot, right? Um, yeah. And of course, that's not, you know, I think you mentioned more research. You mentioned you can't please everyone with your content, right? And I think there's a lot of content out there that's 15 or 20 minutes that people love. Um, but for yeah. me, I think I really like, like, I'm just uh, like the depth is where the really interesting stuff is, right? Like not just the surface level things. And so, um, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. And it, it, I think in a lot of ways, the book forces you to really be certain as well. Like this is something I feel very confident in, right. And I'm willing to put yeah. it on paper. Um, okay. Well, let's, I want to be respectful let's of your time. Okay, so last two fun questions. So one, um, I heard you mention that you went 200 miles on 200 miles per hour on a course and a motorcycle. What's the fastest yeah. you've ever gone on the streets? Oh my god! Is this <laughs> re- recorded, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say if you don't want. <laughs> you can just no, say very I, fast. I, 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 I will give you a, pol- a political answer. Uh, too fast to say, uh, but too slow for the course. So that's okay. You know, in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, um, you know, obviously traveling was a really big part of, you know, it's just been a big part of your career. Um, what's the most obscure place, the weirdest place you ever traveled before? Insecure. Uh, obscure like the weirdest like uh, most obscure. most odd yeah um that's it that's an interesting question the most uh you know that i i i don't know i don't think i've been in very weird place like uh or maybe most been... interesting what's the most interesting place you've ever traveled i, I indeed i can tell you that I, I had one of the most intense and particular travel that I had in my life. It has been uh, in uh, in China back in the time, like many eight years ago. I got a backpack. I just landed in Beijing, and from Beijing, I did backpacking till New Delhi in India, and I went through Tibet and and uh, Nepal and Nepal, and I I I have been in very weird place. That's for sure. Like. Uh, very yeah. weird uh, restaurant, very weird uh, massage place in Tibet, very <laughs> weird uh, uh, clubs. Uh, I remember, oh, I remember this that was amazing. Basically, in Kathmandu, 
uh, we went in a place that they, they told us, oh, they do very good, very great live music. Uh, please go there and like check it. You're going to love it because it's very characteristic. So we were in Nepal. We were like all like I was coming from Tibet. So I was all in my like, you know, spiritual mood covered in necklace, all those kind of things that you forget three days after you came back. But, uh, <laughs> so we went we, we went in this cafe expecting the most, uh, you know, I don't know, playing some uh, Nepalese, some monks uh, plays Nepalese music. We just got inside and they were playing Blink 182. So I, 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 was, I mean, it was the weirdest. Like they were very Nepalese-looking guys. Like by the way, they were playing very good, but they were playing uh, punk rock, Californian punk rock. I said, "Oh my god!" So like we we really are into globalization right now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it it was a quite bizarre experience. But uh, I mean, at the end, we stayed there all the night, and we 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 had great fun. So it was fun. It was fun. There you go. Um, well, thank you so much, Ricardo, for taking out the time. I think uh, I learned thank a lot today. I'm sure everybody else did too. And um, you. good thank luck you in your, you know, in your investments and with Luxottica, which we didn't even get to talk about. And um, yeah, and just thanks so much again for for taking the time. Thank you, thank you for inviting me, and I really wish the best to your to your podcast uh, listener because uh, I, I mean this aim to this this uh, this tool to uh, share knowledge i think uh, uh, it's going to be more and more important you know like uh, in the future so thank you also for what you are doing yeah bye. no problem awesome bye hit subscribe now earned by tribe dynamics tribe dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com.